You're listening to Talking Tricks, the home of amazing stories from magic, circus, variety, and comedy performers. Hello and welcome to Talking Tricks, a podcast with us, Cain and Abel, two magicians with the exact same voice. Just the hairy one today, welcoming you back for another year of Talking Tricks. We had a nice little Christmas break, a New Year break, did some skiing. We're pretty good at skiing, pretty good at skiing. And uh, now here we are, back with another year of Talking Tricks. We've got some amazing guests lined up already for you. There's so much going on in the world of magic. So many people visiting the country that I'm sure you can imagine who we're aiming for. We're shooting for the stars. We're going for the biggest we can get. And hopefully we're going to bring you some amazing podcast interviews throughout 2020. Coming up today, Richard Philby joins us in a minute to chat about his brand new show, Richard Philby Spectacool. He is taking everything he's learned on the streets as a circus performer and taking it indoors. It's a really good interview to kick off the new year. Richard Philby is someone you may not have heard of. He's someone without TV experience. He's someone without a big agent behind him, but he's booked a venue in London. He's doing his own 45 minute show with support from three other people. So it's a sort of 90 minute whole show. It's gonna be fantastic. And you know, he's a go-getter and that's what we should all be in January, isn't it? We're all trying new things going out there. So he's booked a venue, he's gonna do a show, it's gonna be fantastic. And he's coming up here to tell us all about that. He's also gonna tell us about his journey from Australia to the UK and being a full-time street performer. And as I mentioned, January, I'm trying to, you know, put less booze into the body, fewer drinks of alcohol, more coffee as a result. So I think it's okay, really. It's going good, I'm enjoying the coffee. I'm still drinking. Of course, I'm not gonna cut out alcohol completely. I'm not doing dry January. If you are doing dry January, I hope this gets you through one of your dry nights as you count down towards the end of the month. But I had a lovely coffee at Soho House, Soho Theatre, should I say, the other night when I I went to see Only Bones, Trigree Wakenshaw's version of Only Bones as part of the London Mind Festival. Now I've got to do a huge shout out. Fantastic show. Head on down and see it if you can. Only Bones is a um, is it, an idea created by Tom Monkton, and um, there's a sort of set guidelines that you have to follow to do an Only Bones show. And this is Trivi Wakenshaw's version of an Only Bones show. Go and check it out. Absolutely fantastic. Part of the amazing London Mind Festival. Check their website out. There's loads of great, great shows on there, have a little look. I've got to do a huge shout out to Soho Theatre as well. We had a bad start to the year, a bad thing start happened in our family, one of the bad, baddest things you can think of, which meant I couldn't attend the show. And uh, I rang them up and I said, this bad thing has happened. And I know you don't do refunds. I know you don't do exchanges. And they said, because of what's happened, you can change change to another night, come on another night. They didn't need to do that. You know, the bad thing that happens, happens to everyone that ever exists in this world. And uh, they could have been like, well, we're, look, we're sorry at time of booking, it said no exchanges, no refunds, but they said, come on another night. So I went down, I had a delicious coffee. I saw the amazing Only Bones by Trickley Wackenshaw and, and I highly recommend it. Really great show. Trickley, someone who we were aware of from our visits to Australia the last couple of years and of course, Edinburgh. And I miss it, I'm gonna be honest. I'm, I'm stood here in the flat in January and I am missing being in Australia, I wish I'd gone out there. Previous podcast alumni, Elliot Bibby's out there. Previous podcast alumni, Charlie Capers out there. So if you're in Australia, if you're in Perth, Adelaide, whilst those festivals are on, go and see those guys, they're amazing. Non-podcast alumni, but friend of Cain and Abel, Kugul's, go and watch them, they're out in Australia really would recommend them. And Richard Philby, an Australian, joins us in a minute to talk about what's going on in London this January with his show. And before then, final news that nobody cares about. 
Southampton Football Club, the Saints, my team, because I kind of had got to updating you as we got into the tail end of 2019, how Southampton were doing. We were always in the relegation zone. We might get relegated. Things are bad, bad. Well, it's good. They won four games out of the six games since I last spoke to you. They drew the other two. And then they played a seventh game on Saturday and they lost that one. But that, that is irrelevant. We're now 13th. We're only one point behind Arsenal. Arsenal are having a bad season, but we're 13th. We're doing well. We would have been 12th if stupid Newcastle hadn't have beaten Chelsea last week. So there's your, your news that nobody cares about unless you are one of these performers or talking tricks listeners that also like football. But we're going to stop talking about football. We're going to stop... Um, pining over not being in Australia and we're going to get Richard Philby on Talking Tricks right now. The number one podcast for great stories from the world of magic, circus, comedy and variety. You're listening to Talking Tricks. Now joining us on Talking Tricks is Richard Philby. We often have magicians on here a lot and just talk about one form of tricks, but we've got a real multifaceted trickster with us today. Richard Philby does a little bit of everything uh, to kick us off. Richard, how are you doing today? Oh, doing good, good. It's, uh, it's a nice January day. More, more sun and more fresh air than, than anyone would expect at this time of year. Because I know you through street performing. For those that don't know you, give us a quick overview then of who you are as a performer and what kind of stuff you do. Uh, so I'm, uh, I'm an Australian street performer. Got a lot of the, uh, the Australian flavour in a lot of things I do. Uh, but I've moved to London about two years ago. And um, I do a lot of street shows. I live close to, to Covent Garden Pitch, so I spend as much time there as I can. But that's kind of an avenue for me to work on new tricks and explore explore new ideas with an audience so i'm doing that as often as i can we should talk about where we are because a lot of people will say that they live in london but you live in proper london you're yeah. right in the heart of the west end how to find that bang on it yeah i love it i love it i couldn't couldn't be happier with with where i live like covent garden postcode makes a makes life easy for work but also interesting outside of work and if something's happening in the West End that I, I really want to get involved in, I can just come home straight from work. I'm ready to go in five minutes. And it's pretty useful being able to just duck home, get ready for work in 20 minutes or so. And just, yeah, always, always trying to keep my my finger on the pulse. And yeah, with, with so much to do in the West End, it's just, it's an amazing location. Couldn't be better. So would you describe yourself predominantly as a juggler or a kind of circus artist? Well, if people say, what do you do? What, what's your answer? For years, for a long time, I just, I went with juggler. I introduced myself as a juggler. My show was a juggling show, but lately it's just been a variety entertainer. Uh, I've branched out into stand-up comedy a little bit. I do card tricks. I do juggling. I do balance, uh, handstands. It's just... The more, more tricks uh, I learn, the more variety my show develops. And I'll always be a juggler at heart. Uh, I've, I grew up doing it. I love it more than anything else. But it's good to get, get the, the mix, the contrast between you know, a Rubik's Cube solve and then a seven ball juggle. It's, yeah, it really adds, adds a lot to the performance. So what was the first thing you learned then? Was it, a, a, you know, a free ball cascade? And free it's... ball cascade. <laughs> <laughs> and if so, is it, what led you to do that? Yeah, that, that was, yeah, the first thing I learned. Uh, oranges in the kitchen were just, while my, my parents were cooking, just got handed some oranges, showed showed how to do it. it was rubbish. Like, like most people learning at the start, couldn't do it, but never, never stopped. Just learned, learned how to do three, four catches, and then learned a few tricks and ended up, I think that Christmas ended up with some juggling balls, took them to school and became the, the class juggler and learned how to be the class clown from that. And yeah, just never, never, just never stopped. Just loved, loved doing it. Got addicted pretty young and just pursued it. So what part of Australia did you grow up in? Grew up on the Gold Coast. So I, I spent... Spent a lot of time traveling as a kid anyway, uh, just moving houses. We spent a bit of time in, in the UK. Um, 
But yeah, grew up on the Gold Coast, and then when I finished high school, uh, I got a job in a circus and travelled from uh, from Perth all the way up to North Queensland, all the way to Tasmania, New Zealand, and then repeated that tour for for three years. Uh, was, that, so, was that like a sort of traditional big top circus? It was not. It was uh, it was. Anything but traditional. It was mostly mostly for kids. It was kids entertainment. So a lot of the work we did was actually inside schools, and we take our own inflatable big top and yeah, there was traditional elements, but mostly it was uh it was pretty modern. Uh, and I didn't realize at the time, but it was it was a very street style show. Like the circus was started by a, a street performer, and he did given us a, a script to learn that was very streety, very streety. So going from that to the street uh, came a lot more naturally than I thought it would. I thought, oh, street shows are a, a different different thing altogether. But there was elements I'd been training for like three years. So so from, from schools and all sorts in Australia to um, above a vintage clothes shop in Hackney with your next show coming yeah. up on the 27th of January, uh, the Richard Philby Spectacular. Tell us everything we need to know about it. Uh, it's 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 called the Richard Philby Spectacule. Ah, uh-huh. <laughs> uh, yeah. Uh, just the it's just a stupid word that I, I realized that nobody nobody's really monopolized yet. Um, my girlfriend's French, so I've been saying spectac a lot, and then one day I was having a bit of trouble on the street and just just said. Oh, everybody, welcome to the Richard Philby Spectacule, uh, in a sarcastic kind of way. Like, Then looked into it and was like, you know what, There's, everyone knows what it means, but it, it literally means nothing. I googled it and it's maybe Latin. And it, um, Yeah, so I've, I've gone with that, that name uh, for a little bit of uh, something different. Yeah, I'm hoping that it turns out to be a really nice show. It's a perfect venue, paper dress vintage. I've seen my friend perform there, Man of a Thousand Farces. Fell in love with the venue, and I'm, I'm, I want that. I want I want his audience with my show. So I've uh, yeah, I've, I've booked the place out. The guys are really nice there. They're happy to have me. They're happy to see some some variety, some comedy, some circus, and it's all happening. Yeah, twenty seventh, twenty seventh of January, really. Soon enough. Soon enough. You got a lot of work to do before it, and but everything's falling into place. And it's a full, it's like a full variety night. It's a, you've got a couple of support acts and an MC to keep the whole thing going. Tell us who else is on the bill. Oh yeah, so lucky to have Gary Michaels uh, doing the MC work. I've seen him in a lot of a lot of places that I've been performing. I do some open mics here and there, so he's he's just the best MC I could possibly have gotten. He's offered his time, and I I couldn't be more grateful. He's Coming in, he'll uh, he'll run the night. He'll get everybody seated. He'll uh, he'll set the tone, and I think I think we'll work well together, the two of us. He's got got a nice style, nice Irish wit, with some dry Australian sarcasm, should uh, blend nicely. So he's going to be introducing Hattie Preston and Brandon Burke. They're the the two comedians. They'll be doing their their twenty minute sets. Uh, I've seen both of them many times and I just I love the their style. I think it's it's gonna work out really nicely. There's a lot of different style, a lot of different contrast. Um and yeah, I think there's there's gonna be something for everybody that night. There's gonna then at the end I'll be closing it with uh with all of my tried and tres- tested tricks. Tried and tested tricks. And a few a few new ones. I'm working on some pretty cool stuff at the moment that's it's been a, a headache. But a fun one. It's, it's a lot, a lot going on. What are the new, What are the new tricks you're working on? Oh, uh, the the one that is has proven to be the most fun is balloon pop with a deck of cards. Uh, that one, um, that one was a few hours alone in the room, just popping these cards, uh, popping these balloons, just trying to trying to get the the force and the the accuracy. So it's this throwing throwing cards, sort of. Mm, yeah. To pop it. yeah, yeah, throwing the cards, but picked up a little little technique from a magician, you know, Paul Debeck. Yeah, he uh, showed me something years ago, years ago, and I've always wanted to, to find something to do with it. Um, and now here we are, 
smashing balloons with playing cards. Yeah. And then, um, so they'll be juggling. I mm-hmm. guess you're doing roda bolo in there as well. How high yeah. is his stack? Uh, I've added another layer to this one. Yeah. Yeah. The, 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 on the street, I usually have a big dodgy table that's um, that adds a lot to it. But because of the venue size, I won't be able to do the table. So I'm going to really push push myself to, to work out more ways to make it interesting. Because it, it won't be as dangerous. Like it's the element of danger. But without the height, um, I've, I've got a lot more room to, to push the boundaries. So I'm really going to try to... Try to find ways of making it as difficult and possible as I possibly can. And yeah, just keep keep stacking it up. So I get cigar boxes, another layer, and just push it as high as I can to the, to the roof, hopefully. To the roof. And is there, um, is there kind of anything in the show that kind of... Because I guess there's, there's a bit of a danger element with certain things and then other mm-hmm. things, there's things that might look dangerous but aren't particularly. Is there any kind of parts of the show that, that you're almost uh, nervous about? Yes. Yeah, like the, the looks dangerous but isn't uh, would be my knife juggling. Not because it's not dangerous but because it's, it's just something I've, I've been doing forever for, for so long that if it goes wrong that will be the most surprising part of the entire show. But the the balloon pop, it turns out uh, that the cards can go wild. I've got, got some uh, some safety precaution in place, uh, things that I didn't think I would need. I've got them now, that's, that's going to be fine. But yeah, you flick a card, you can flick them pretty hard. And yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm nervous about that one. But uh, I believe in... Believe in myself. Believe in my accuracy. She'll be right. So, what led to you um, wanting to put on this show now? Oh, this is a a, a thing of I've got a vendetta that I need to to cash in. I've um I've tried I've tried to put on a one man show before an uh, Adelaide Fringe, but if anybody's ever visited Adelaide Fringe, half the fun is the performing. And half the fun is the party after the show. And the night before my, my venue show was supposed to start, uh, we all had a, a little bit to drink and somebody had a skateboard. Uh, we'd, we'd been chucked out of the bar late night. Everybody was done on the street, just found the skateboard. And well, you know what? I haven't done a kickflip in a while. And, uh, you know, I did a kickflip. And got a little bit confident. I was like, oh, I can kick flip off anything. Uh, so I found a gutter, did it off that. I was like, yeah, found a, a larger gutter. Found, looked for whatever I could. And by the end, I, um, I was hobbling home with a sore foot, trying to go get an early night's sleep. And the next day, woke up and my foot was about four times the size of what it's supposed to be. Uh, went to the hospital, ended up with a moon boot. And I ended up having to cancel a show. So a lot has changed since then. I've grown, I've developed, and now I'm, uh, I'm keen to make sure that nothing like that ever happens again. And I want to I wanna make amends for, for cancelling on that venue and missing, missing the opportunity to perform at Adelaide Fringe. If this show goes well, I'd love to take it back. Yeah, Adelaide's awesome. We'll be wrapping you in cotton well and mm-hmm. bubble wrap. Yeah, yeah. And keep you away from all, all skateboards. Um, what was the so? Was it kind of a one-off show in Adelaide that you planning to do, or was it kind of a, a full, a full sort of run of shows? It was five shows over seven nights. Yeah, yeah. So this one's just one-off. This is, um, like this is the the first of what I'm hoping will be a long run with this show. I I think this one's got really good legs. I think if I can uh. If I can make it work on the twenty seventh, then I'm gonna I'm gonna push it to everything I possibly can, trying to get it as far out there as I possibly can. And the longer I can uh, push it, the, the the more often I can perform it, the more I'll figure out ways of improving it. Um, and so the twenty seventh, I think it's gonna be it's gonna be a great great show. It's gonna be a great night. The comics are uh, amazing. 
and I've got everything I need to put on a great show. But what I'm hoping is we, we take this and run with it as far as we can and just turn it into something something extraordinary. It might take a little bit of time, but yeah, I think it I think it's got some really good legs. So to to do no disservice to the paper dress dress, because as we said, it, it's it's a venue I've watched things in as well actually and Whenever I kind of watch it, I think I should run a show in here because it's a cool venue. Uh, you know, it's, it's just over the road from Hackney Central Station, so it's super easy to get to. Um, they've got, you know, a proper full bar downstairs, but you can also get like delicious coffees and you can buy a new fur coat. Mm-hmm. But before you buy, like, what's not to love <laughs> about the paper dress? But um, where where else would you like to take this show to then? What, what are some of your kind of... Uh, ideal sort of dream venues you'd like to perform at? Uh, the I'd like to get into the Fringe Festival circuit with it. Like I think it it would fit right in. It's 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 a perfect Fringe show uh, with uh, with a, a taste of London comedy and Australian street performing. It's got a lot a lot of different elements that I think the Fringe embodies different amalgamations of work. So I think I think it would. Go really nicely, so if all goes to plan, Edinburgh Fringe would be would be ideal. Uh, Brighton Fringe, I've been hearing from some friends that have been doing that. that that's just an amazing, amazing event. Uh, and the London, so full of independent venues, so full of life, and so full of like, just every bar has an upstairs area. So I wanna I wanna try to pack out London venues as often as I can. Um, yeah, I'm not. I'm not sure where the the limit is. I just want to keep filling up bigger and better venues, all the way to whatever I can. And have you found with this then that you you've kind of been able to take stuff that you've honed on the street and and take it straight indoors, um, or have you been kind of tailoring bits so that they kind of work differently because they're indoors? Yeah, there's there's parts from the street that directly translate lines and jokes and, and things that I've, I've worked for years to, to kind of refine and perfect and I've altered a lot of different things and they're, my, they're my, my little gems and they're coming from the street with me but I don't want to do a street show in a venue. I, I think that would, be, that would be a little bit too easy and the, the, the freedom of... A venue is that you have an audience. They're sitting there. They want to see you, and they'll stay till the end. So things like constantly, constantly providing them with an abundance of entertainment, like you almost have to do on the street, uh, it's not as important. I'll be able to really set my own tone, set my own pace, and I think it will be. A, it'll be a more comfortable watch than a street show. A street show is very, very transient audience. So you got to be. A little bit too on it. You got to. By the time you're putting down one prop on the street, you're picking up another, so that nobody, nobody has any dead time. But I just I want to with with my stand-up comedy, I, I want to throw elements of that in. So I want to have the the time in between tricks, just talk, tell a few jokes, and uh, and really get to to read the room and feel feel how they're they're going with the night. And if I feel like I need to move on, I can. If if they seem to be enjoying the jokes, I just want to take my time and yeah, I think I'm gonna have I'm gonna have a lot, a lot of really fresh stuff, with sneaky little cheats from the street that that should get us exactly where we need to go. You mentioned stand up. I'm interested to kind of uh, chat to you about that because I think it's something that all performers probably at some point think they'd like to give stand up a go or they've given stand up a go. Um, you're obviously, you know, living in central London, then mm-hmm. there's open mics all over the place. Um, how have you found kind of getting on, on, on the, um, on the up circuit in London? Oh, stand-up. Stand-up's a tough game. I, I got a lot of appreciation, a lot of respect for, for comics that are actually, actually doing well. Uh, by well, I mean making people laugh a few times in their set. I, uh... I thought that my my experience on the street would transfer immediately onto an open mic scene, uh, but maybe the first ten sets, I was just jumping jumping on the bus back home, going, oh, "Why 
Why? Why was it like that? Why, why didn't they laugh? Uh, then I kind of, I realized that clever little sentences aren't, aren't comedy. Comedy has tension and release and punchlines and yeah, it's t- like I didn't, I didn't juggle when I first started doing stand, like open mics and stand up comedy. So not having the prop, not having something to fall back on really showed me that, that juggling was my punchline. Juggling was the end of my joke. And so I've, I've had to rethink it. I've had to think a lot more deeper about the, the cause of laughter. And um, yeah, it's, it's, it's getting there. Comedy is going, going well, but it's still not even close to a viable career option. It's not close to something that I can, I can say that I'm doing with expertise. But I get it a little bit better now, and uh, for for this, a lot of the material for the show I'm doing at Paper Dress, I'm trying a lot of material at open mics, and that's coming along nicely. And then when you throw in a variety act in an open mic, people just love it. So yeah, getting plenty, plenty of practice. So and what um, what venues did you start working at then with, with the open mic? Where where were the first sort of you know, a lot of these are kind of comedy clubs in pubs and things like that. Mm-hmm. Um, which were the first ones that, that you targeted and, and got on? The first one I ever did was Sam Rhodes' Comedy Explosion in Dalston. And Sam's amazing. He's very welcoming. He's super, super kind. He loves new acts. And he's very supportive of established acts. And he's himself incredibly funny. He's got a really, really nice, nice tone, nice style. Um, so yeah, he, came, he had me on and first night, first night I got laughs, but it was out of, oh, he's doing his best. And Sam went up and just, uh, well, he was emceeing the night and he just, he just really put me at ease at the end of the set instead of going, well, that was a rubbish set by some guy I've never met. He was just like, Hey, good job, Richard. Thank you for giving it a go. And said some, uh, some funny little lines. Um, but Sam, yeah, Sam really, really got me got me started and then Gary the MC for this event he he runs an open mic he he started an empire now he's running like nine shows a week or something he's got some some guest MCs on the nights when he's doing it is yeah he I, I can't believe he's, he's offered to do this he's, uh, he's a very busy man and he just wants to be busier he's doing really well um, yeah but he's been an immeasurable support uh, in comedy and and life in general. He's just always there. He's yeah, he's doing a great job. He's running stand up nights, London, and yeah, it's a massive, massive contribution to the comedy world. And so they're kind of all across London. He's got kind of fingers fingers in a lot of pies. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. So I think he started in Brick Lane. Uh, now he's just around the corner at the Savoy Tup Tap Tup. And yeah, he's, he's every time he finds uh, an empty room, he fills it up with comedians. Um, yeah, so there's there's a lot, a lot of a lot of open mics, unlimited, uh, and somehow London London comedy scene is so beautiful. It's just it, there's always an audience. So what inspired you to um, you know to, to leave the props and, and do sort of straight stand up? Uh, it was at first it was a challenge. Um, uh, like every, I think everybody sees comedian specials and go, hey, they're just talking. That's uh, it's a real cool way to make a living. Um, like that, that idealized version of comedy gets gets squashed pretty quickly when you're up there with a microphone. But yeah, there's a lot that can be developed there, and. I don't know, with, with what I've been doing lately, with picking up different tricks and different styles and adding to the variety of my performance, uh, learning learning a joke, learning setup, punchline, and all of the things in between, that was, that was a necessity. That was something I really wanted to do, needed to do, or else I would have always had a little chuckle and then finished with a juggle, and that would have been the, my entire career. So... Yeah, having legs to stand on with your own humor, with your own jokes, is super valuable, I think. And did you kind of, 
before you did your sort of first set at, at Sam Rhodes' um, show, did you kind of just sit there and, and, and write sort of funny experiences that had happened to you, or did you go for an old joke box uh, book and throw a few things in, or was it a, a few bits from the street here and there? And how did you um, build that initial set? Oh, I wish, I wish I had have done any of that. <laughs> I sat for half an hour and I was like, you know what, I, it's only five minutes. My street show's 45 minutes. I was, uh, I'll talk about maybe this and uh, I wrote a note and I was like, you know what, it's five minutes. I'll be fine. Got up there and the one joke I wrote wasn't funny. And the rest of the five minute set was me just going, this is difficult. This is tough. And trying, trying to be funny along the way. But yeah, it was, it was so unrehearsed, so unprepared and so, so different to what I was expecting it to be. I thought natural charm and wit would kick in and it would be a breeze and everybody would love me. But it was, it was the opposite, um, without Without any direction, you just you just go nowhere, and yeah, there's, the street show had been going really well at that time, to make me think that, uh, well, it's not the time and effort and experience I have in the street; it's just me. So I was I was a little bit delusional in that way, but yeah, that snapped me back into it. I was like, no, no, you want to be good at something, you got to work. You can't just expect to be good at something. And then um, let's kind of talk a bit about the street then. You've been in London for two years, um, but were you kind of working on the street in Australia before then? Mm-hmm, yep. Yeah, uh, from from that circus gig, uh, I, I started doing some street shows on the weekend, uh, just a little bit of extra cash and a little bit of experience. Um, and eventually I just... I got hooked on the street. I just thought it was the best, the the freedom of it, the the game of collecting an audience instead of just having having them sitting there and waiting for the show. I liked like the the real interaction with real street street life. Um, so yeah, my first first experience with busking led to uh, six months later me being a full time street performer. I did the circus thing for like three and a half years and it was kind of running its course. I was, I was happy to, to move on to something else and luckily busking came up and like, um, I do this now. This is awesome. Yeah. So where were you busking in Australia? Or were you kind of moving around or did you have a yeah. sort of home pitch? Yeah. At first it was in Perth and that's where the circus was kind of based at the time. So I started in Perth. First show was in a place called North Bridge. Um, which looking back was probably the worst place to try to do it. I went out late at night and just busked from like 11 p.m. till 4 a.m. on a Saturday night. And is Northbridge busy at that time? With very busy, street, yeah, very busy with um with pub goers and like it's got a reputation for being dangerous and. Like, it, I think that, that just comes from it being a big bar scene. So there's a lot of lot of people drinking, but I did it for a, a while and no problems. It was it was one of the... I don't know, when you're there with purpose, when you're there and it looks like you're doing something for a living, people just go, oh, yeah, he's, doing, he's working. Well, let's, let's, uh, let's let him work. So I, I never really had any issues, but... You tell somebody you're you're busking at midnight on, in Northbridge, they go, "Oh my God, are you okay?" I'm like, yeah, it's fine. It's a beautiful place. Um, but from there, I went to Sydney, and then Sydney, Sydney. Uh, I don't know. I, just, I couldn't make it work for me there. Not you like, down by the Opera House, or uh, I was trying to. I um, I was I was so lost in Sydney. I didn't know where where I was supposed to be. So I set up in a place called Newtown. And there was just not enough, not enough space, not enough public, like it's busy place, but just, yeah, for some reason it just wasn't working in Sydney for me. So I moved to Melbourne and that's where, that's where my street show really took off. Got some legs there and yeah, it got me, got me all the way over to the UK after a few, a couple of years in Melbourne. 
I've had a street show that was portable and, and good, and I was happy with it. So I was like, ah, oh, well, let's take this international. And why London then? Why did, you, why did you choose here? Was it just, were you kind of passing through a bit, or did you always come with the aim to settle straight here? I did one summer here. Yeah. And yeah, I was like, I arrived, and it was beautiful, and it's big, and there's massive, massive places to work, and there's plenty of people, and I spent... I spent one summer here, France, and in Scotland for Edinburgh Fringe. Yeah. And then went back to Australia. And I love Australia, but I spent the summer season there just going, oh, I wish I was, I wish I was in London. Um, so yeah, the next summer came back and just never left. Luckily, I've got a British passport, so yeah, I've, I've just been able to stay and integrate and yeah. It was nice. It was a simple move. It gives me access to Europe, so I love it. How come you've got a British passport? Is one of your parents British, or did you buy it off a dodgy man down an alleyway? Oh, there's dodgy men in alleyways selling whatever you want. They're not very... Um, <laughs> uh, I read today that they're not as in high regard as they used to be, British passports. They're oh. like really low down the list, whereas they used to be like the number one passport to get. Oh, really? Whereas now they're not... So, you know, maybe you should get some of your money back off the guy. Oi. <laughs> uh, no, how have you got British? Uh, no, I am. I'm English. I was born here. But I moved to Australia when I was two. Yeah. So I've got both passports. Do you think the Australian passport's high regard? I don't know. We could look at the list. Yeah. We look at the list after this. Yeah. And we'll see. So, I can imagine the Aussie one's quite in quite high regard. It's hard to get. It's hard to yeah. get in, isn't it? Yep. That's what that's what they want here, isn't it? That point system. <laughs> Keep going on. Oh about it. yeah. That glamorous Aussie point system. Yeah, that's a that's a pain. That like as a, an Australian citizen, I still struggle with the point system whenever I need to get ID over there. If you lose a wallet, you lose eighty points of ID in that wallet and all you got is a birth certificate. Can you sort me out? Yeah, it's a real pain. So hopefully we we don't have to go through any of that nonsense over here. But yeah, that's what they want. Um, what's so kind of working on the street then? You like you must have some uh, some pretty hairy stories of uh, you know whether you've had like drunk drunk people coming into your crowd, kicking off with you, mm-hmm. um, or you know like injuries or all sorts. Like from your years and years on the streets, there must be what's kind of the sort of craziest thing that's that's happened to you that to probably other street performers they just go. Yeah, that's kind of what it's like, but to mm. kind of sort of Joe Public would be like, what? Yeah, yeah. Well, you, I've, I've had a, a secret technique that's got me through years of street performing. Uh, when the, the drunk guy comes in and tries to derail your show, or when the hen's party turns it into them, or, or for whatever reason your, your show is disrupted, uh, my, my way of dealing with it is Go with it. I love it. I, I, I have a lot of fun. Like Melbourne was uh, perfect for it. We were on the South Bank there. People would be walking past from one bar to another and they would come in and they'd, they'd disrupt your show just for kicks during the night and then keep walking. But I would always engage with it and over-engage with it. And I'd, I was doing a fire juggling show at the time when somebody would throw me a fire torch and if some drunk guy with his buddies came into my show, he'd become the volunteer and he'd have to throw the torch. And it sounds like a really bad idea. And it is. I probably wouldn't do it so much anymore. But I was a lot younger and a lot dumber then. But I, I thought I was so clever giving this guy the torch because all of a sudden he'd be like, wait, this is real fire. This is a real problem. And he'd take some kind of instinctive personal responsibility so i i have been so lucky throughout my entire career just to to never have a disaster um of course with a drunk guy throwing the torch to you and trying to get you into a juggle this show's not going to go well but it never got derailed and uh yeah it's like i don't know like i don't know be be water hey if 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 something's happening, let it let it happen around you, and just see what see what comes of it. And I think when the harder you push back on 
problematic situations, the more problematic they become. So I, I've always just kind of gone with it. Um, and as for injury, I've once again just incredibly lucky. I, I, I take it really slow when I'm trying to progress something that's, that's genuinely dangerous. Like the knives, I don't just start juggling knives, I start juggling balls, then clubs. And once I've got those two tricks down, I'll add the knives. And my balance board, roller bowler finale, that I've, that's the slowest progress I've ever made in my life because I don't want to fall off. If I fall off, I don't know what happens. I've fallen off plenty of times during training and now I'm on a large large table that, that could cause serious injury if I fall. So I, I make sure I'm comfortable. I make sure I'm confident before I, before I push myself. And you're obviously someone that's kind of constantly learning new things. I wonder how, how's your, you know, what, what's your kind of strategy or form of attack to kind of learn things? Are you someone that will go and kind of get sort of old books on sort of circus skills, an internet guy, or do you kind of find that actually performing on the streets and being part of this kind of community that you just sort of, you know, learn tricks off other people? How, how do you kind of pick these things up? Yeah, yep. The street performing is a, a, a great help. It's a, it's a massive asset in learning. Uh, if I if I do a day of training of a trick and it resembles the trick I want to do, I'll just sneak it into my show. Yeah. I'll just sneak it into a street show and then if I do two or three shows in a day, that's two or three training sessions with an audience watching. And all of the other material around it will be solid, so people will be forgiving if it doesn't go well. Um, and yeah, so I, I, I spend a fair bit of time practicing and training outside of the show, but only to get it up to the level where I can sneak it in to the show and it, it fits. And then every show I do, I, I learn something from it, even if it's even if it's something like learning a drop, uh, like a line for the drop. So like if anything in my show goes wrong, uh, I've always got a line for it. I've got something to say about it. Usually pretty pretty funny or at least clever, which which just really relieves tension of because a drug a juggler dropping something that's an obvious mistake, but it's only a problem if the juggler himself is unhappy that he's dropped. So I've got I've got all of these lines and they come from genuinely not being able to do it, dropping it and going. I'm gonna try again, um, and yeah. So my my training strategy is get it good enough for a street show, and then wait until it's better than it needs to be in the street show, and then find something new. And yeah, constantly I've got like a thousand things I want to put into a street show, but yeah, people aren't gonna be patient enough to watch an entire show go badly and um who are some of your sort of inspirations performer wise oh for for comedic timing and style and um just just general life lifestyle i think tim minchin is one of my one of my favorite australian comedians i think he's if i if i could i'd learn the piano just to learn some of his songs, I think he's he's amazing, and I have taken a lot of ins- inspiration from other street performers. Like I've, I've somehow managed to to be pretty pretty blind to a lot of the circus pop culture, but really got my finger on the pulse with street culture. So there's yeah there's street performers from all over the world. I mean Paul De Beck. He's a, he's a massive inspiration. A unicyclist called Dynamike. Uh, I've never seen so much character and so much charisma wrapped up in a, in a human being before. He's, uh, he, yeah, he's one of the first large unicycle shows I ever saw. And I was like, oh my God, if I could have a shred of his confidence, I'd be so happy. Um, and then, yeah, like breakdancers and musicians. Uh, everybody's got got an element of entertainment in them that that is inspiring that that can really help you push yourself so i i watch i watch street shows a lot i 
while I'm waiting to do one, I'll, I'll still be watching. Even if I've seen it before, I still love it. And it, it kind of, it, it, as soon as you kind of start working the streets, you kind of do end up being part of this sort of community of street performers. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you're traveling the world and you see people here, you see people there. Like, I've got friends that I'll only ever see at Glastonbury and Edinburgh um, from the streets, or if I swing by Covent Garden. Um, do you kind of, do you enjoy feeling um, as part of this sort of community of street performers? Yes. Yeah, yeah. Especially in Covent Garden. Like, the all of the other places I've worked, there is a strong community vibe. Everybody's watching out for each other. But Covent Garden's got a, um, a long-standing history, and it's got a, a, the SPA, Street Performer Association. Uh, they've got that that that's rock solid that people meet up and they discuss real issues with what's happening in Covent Garden, what's happening in street performing around London, what's happening in the world. And yeah, we, we work as a real team there and there's a lot of people that have families now, so they, they don't travel as much. So you get, you get to see the same people every day with the, the traveling thing. It's, it's great. It's quirky that you'll just end up in, Avignon in France and you just see oh what I didn't know you were, you were here and just you, you bump into people all over the world um, and that's that's the traveling community is amazing but then Covent Garden it's a, it's a more stationary community with people coming in and out and it's always there it's always going to be there uh, and did you find obviously moving from, from the circus show straight onto those sort of you know late night late night street shows in Melbourne and then, sorry, yeah, in Melbourne, wasn't it? In Perth, yeah, sorry, Perth everywhere. and Melbourne. Um, and then coming to, over to London, did you kind of feel that you'd sort of cracked street performing straight away or did it kind of take you quite a while to be, feel that your show was at the, the level you wanted it to be at? Uh, I don't know if it's possible to have a street show at the level you want it. Um, like I've definitely hit some peaks and plateaus throughout my career I'm very very happy with where I'm right now uh, and uh, I'm, I'm comfortable with my show and I can do it daily and be proud of it but I know that I can improve it and I, I, I intend on improving it and I'm doing everything I can to improve it so yeah it's like the level where you're at is, is a really hard measurement I am um, I've I've always been happy with my street show. I remember when it was a little uh, little juggling act, no fire, no knives, just a, a roller bowler on the ground, five balls, and the maximum audience was ten people, and that was like whoa 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 I've got an audience yeah yeah, yeah I'll I'll show you guys something. That even then I loved it. I was like this is this is where I'm supposed to be, this moment here. This is this is what I I want to do. So. Yeah, the the bigger it gets, uh, the more more kind of feedback I get, the more reassurance I get that I'm doing the right things. But yeah, it's a state of mind. I've always been happy with the level I'm at. And do you, I wonder if you have like a sort of top moment, whether it was you know being at a sort of festival or, or just a show that had just a really nice moment in it. Do you, do you kind of have a, a sort of, you know, best show, best moment ever on the streets? Best show, best moment. Oh, wow. Yeah, there's, there's so many. There's not, like, there's not really highlight moments. There's, there's really, there's meaningful moments. Um, like, you get a lot, you get a lot of feedback at the end of a show. Uh, sometimes people will come up and say, um, Thank you, thank you for the show. I've just had a, a tragedy at home, and this is the first time I've smiled, or, or, whatever, whatever somebody is feeling at the time. If you can brighten their day, and then they tell you about it, that's that's a highlight. That's that's a great moment, and it's happened. It's happened a, a bit. It's happened more than a few times, and yeah, none of them are the highlight. But as a as a combination it, it really that's the highlight of street performing is that every day you're out there and whether you know it or not you're, you're impacting people's lives 
and I hope I hope that it it genuinely does help people when they're struggling. I hope that it genuinely gets people through the day. And yeah, I'm naive enough to believe it does. I think it's great. And do you think you'd you'll always want to be you know a street performer? Do you want to retire on the street, or is the ambition to get into a you know a big touring indoor show, or, or to kind of have your own solo show that is permanently kind of booked around the world? What's the the number one ambition. Uh, what I what I'm hoping is that one day I become too busy to do street shows, because I will con- I'll continue doing them as long as I possibly can. They're a, an amazing thing. They're a beautiful thing. I, I genuinely believe in them, but I don't think I have the energy to do it for the rest of my life. So I I want to to find other other avenues I want to be too busy organizing a stage show and finding guest comedians and putting putting my own project together to to even have the hour to run out and do that that street show because I, I love them and I will continue doing them until I, I genuinely cannot so yeah it, it's tough like I, I don't see any reason to stop doing them so I will, I'll keep doing them until I can't, until I can't. And I'm hoping, I'm hoping to push myself into different domains to the point where I, I just, I can't. And I want to leave street performing knowing that I still love it and I still want to do it, but it's just something that my lifestyle doesn't permit anymore. Super. And final, final thing then to, to kind of go back to how we started it all. The show, of course, is on the 27th at the paper dress. Um, Give us one final, one final sentence or, or so just to, to, to kind of sum up what people can expect again for that show. Oh my God, this, this show is, is a, a personal endeavor of mine that I hope brings joy to as many people as I possibly can. Um, I think it will. I think a lot of people would, would love what we're going for here. And I encourage everybody, everybody to come on down. Come check it out and um, see see how you feel about the Richard Philby spectacle. Spectacle. That's a new word for the word of the day on <laughs> Talking Trips. Spectacle. Spectacle. Cheers, Richard. Thank you. Thank you very much. Thank you for listening to Talking Trips with Cade and Abel. Please rate, review and subscribe to the podcast.